On episode 536 of the 40 Plus Fitness Podcast, we meet Dr. Morgan Levine and discuss her book, True Age, Cutting Edge Research to Help Turn Back the Clock. You can find the full show notes for this episode at 40plusfitnesspodcast.com forward slash 536. If you decided you're ready to make a change to reclaim your health and fitness, the 40 Plus Fitness Podcast is here for you. Each week, we dive deep into health and fitness topics that affect those of us over 40. I'm Alan Meisner. I'm an NSAM certified personal trainer with specializations in corrective exercise, behavior change, and fitness nutrition, a FAI certified functional aging specialist, and an OTA level two online trainer. I'm joined each week by our co-host, Rachel Everett. She is an NASN certified personal trainer and a RRCA level one run coach. Let us be your coaches as you find your way on your health and fitness journey, all right? Let's go. If you know you can't sustain another year of sliding down the aging curve, weight gain, body aches and pain, no drive. If you're ready to see your energy and confidence go up, 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 and you want to build a sustainable lifestyle that helps you be the best you you can be, then you should check out Be Fit for Task, 40plusfitness.com forward slash BFFT. Inside BFFT, I work with you to develop the mindset needed to lose weight and keep it off, build up your fitness safely so you can be who you need to be, put together the right for you strategies and tactics, have accountability to stick with it, and create a sustainable, healthy lifestyle. I'll be like the headlights on your car and the rumple bumps on the side of the road to keep you on your road to wellness day or night. And at the end of our six weeks together, you'll have more energy, be stronger and healthier. And yes, you'll have lost weight. But more importantly, you'll have the skills and tools you need to keep going to be fit for task, to live the life you're meant to live. Imagine how amazing that's going to feel. Apply at 40plusfitness.com forward slash BFFT, and we'll get on a discovery call to make it happen. 40plusfitness.com forward slash BFFT. Uh, today, I want to do something a little different uh, than what we've done on some of the podcasts. This is this is going to be an interview, but not really an interview. Uh, it's just something I think that's really, really important. It's, it's important to me uh, because I see how it's affected our health and our lives. Um, today, I've got Jennifer Friedland on, and she's the president of the Nutrition Coalition. And this organization is, is probably one of the few out there that just sees what's going on and is actually doing something about it. Um, our food system of what we're fed in the United States, the standard American diet that we've been, it's been pushed down our throat. It's what our kids eat because that's what the schools have to serve them. Um, that's all driven by the food companies. And there's very little done outside of that to make sure that true science, true balanced science is out there. So I wanted to talk to Jennifer today for just a few minutes. So bear with us, but this is your opportunity to get involved and help fix this. So Jennifer, welcome to 40 plus fitness. Thank you so much for having me. So you've just recently become the president of the Nutrition Coalition, and this is at a very critical time for your organization for what you're trying to accomplish. Can you tell us what's going on and what we can do to help you get that done? Absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, yeah. So every five years, the United States Department of Agriculture and Health and Human Services review the dietary guidelines for Americans. And as you mentioned, this is basically our dietary guidance. It influences what doctors, how doctors advise their patients and every federal food program, whether it be in schools, nursing homes, the military. Um, so this policy is, is huge, right? And yet it is really designed for the 60% that for, I'm sorry, it's really designed for healthy Americans. They say so themselves. This is for healthy Americans. But what we know right now is that 60% of Americans are not healthy. They have, we, they have food-related illnesses, diabetes, obesity, high blood pressure. And so what the Nutrition Coalition is, works to do is to advance evidence-based, science-based food policy. 
And so we're saying to the government that based on the science, you need to also have, in addition to your policy for healthy people, a low carb option that can help people help themselves to reverse, in some cases, reverse type two diabetes, to help them with their, their um, metabolic diseases, whether it be high blood pressure or obesity, and really give people an alternative that can help them. And so every five years, they revise these guidelines. And the first thing they do is they list the questions that they're going to be asking. Well, when we looked at the questions, there wasn't a single question about low-carb diets. And so the question for us is, why aren't they asking about low-carbohydrate diets? There's enough evidence at this point. There's so much science that's been done. You know, over a hundred studies looking at long the, the effects of a low-carbohydrate diet, the long-term effects of a low-carbohydrate diet. These studies are robust. And yet the government is saying that it's not gonna look at the studies. And so we have an opportunity right now until May 16th to write in a comment um, asking the government to please raise this issue as it's revising the guidelines. And that's sort of the mission today for us is to get those comments in. Okay. okay. So if I want to do a comment, I want to help, what, what do you need me to do today? So today you can go to our website, which is nutrition is nutritioncoalition.us. And, um, and on the homepage, you'll see, you know, a, a blog post. You can click onto that blog post for low carb DGA, and it will give you instructions on where to go and what to do. And some talking points you can add. If you're, if people are on Twitter, they can go then click to tweet. So basically we're trying to drum, get as many comments in as we can, and then to drum up as much as we can on social media to get more people to join the effort as well. Because if the question's not asked, then it's not the answer. It's never going to be the answer. So this is all driven by the process and the process is not in the best interest of people, particularly people that are not healthy and need to deal with some of these lifestyle uh, food choices and things that we've done to ourselves. So uh, thank you so much. Again, guys, the website is nutritioncoalition.us. Go ahead and check it out, read the blog post, and let's help Jennifer solve this, this problem we've got going on right now, because it's, it's, it's affecting us. Uh, it's obvious, and we need to do something about it sooner rather than later. So thank you, Jennifer, for being, being a part of 40 Plus Fitness. Thank you so much. Hey, Raz. Hey, Alan. How are you today? I'm doing all right. How are things with you? Good. Well, we have spring again for now. And <laughs> you might hear my voice. So it's a little raspy. My allergies are the bane of me. As much as I love spring, it does not love me back. <laughs> so I'm a little bit, little bit struggling right now. <laughs> the beautiful yeah. flowers. Blooming. Well, you can't have, yeah, you can't have the flowers without the pollen. And, you know, that depending on true. where you are in the country, pollen can be a, it can be a bit of a bear. It is a little bit, but I'll make it through. I'm, I'm just happy to have spring today. <laughs> Good. Yeah, we kind of have spring every day, but um... lucky, lucky you. <laughs> choices, mm -hmm. choices. Mm -hmm. That's um... right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, uh, we, we are just now finishing up our busy season uh, on the island. So, uh, you know, I think we were, we were full all the way through um, Easter weekend, which is when high season is supposed to end. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so as we're recording this, we just, we just finished up our Easter, but, uh, weekend, but so, you know, we, we now have people checking out and then not people checking in. So mm -hmm. it'll be kind of interesting as we kind of, you know, end up with just one or two rooms booked versus having four to six rooms booked. Wow. kind of what that new pace of life is going to be like. So, yeah. um, so I've been trying to take on some additional challenges here. I'm, I'm, I'm actually sitting for right now, uh, another certification, Ooh. the, uh, precision nutrition. Mm -hmm. So this one's a pretty big one. This one's going to take a lot of effort. Um, oh. but I'm in it. I'm, I'm about, I'd say right now, probably about a third of the way through, maybe, maybe a, three, maybe a quarter through, but it's just getting okay. started on it. But so it's, it's, it's pretty intense. Awesome. That sounds exciting. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I always like to have a challenge. So I'm training <laughs> for the tough mutter and I'm like, right? okay, I might have a little bit of extra time 
uh, as we go into these next few months. And then Tammy's planning a trip with, uh, with one of her friends to travel. I'm like, okay, so that's two weeks that she's not going to be here. So I, I need to have a, I need to have a hobby. Uh, oh, gosh. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, so I'll, I'll get another certification. That's awesome. How exciting. Yeah. All right. Well, are we ready to talk about aging? Sure. Our guest today is an assistant professor of pathology at Yale University School of Medicine. Her research focuses on the science of biological aging, specifically using bioinformatics to quantify the aging process and test how lifestyle and pharmaceutical interventions alter the rate of aging. As a leading voice in the field of aging and longevity science, she has been featured in media outlets such as CNN, The Guardian, Time, Newsweek, The Huffington Post, the BBC, and many more. She has also appeared in the docu-series by Netflix and Goop alongside Gwyneth Paltrow. With no further ado, here's Dr. Morgan Levine. Dr. Levine, welcome to 40 Plus Fitness. Thank you for having me. So today we're going to talk about your book, True Age, Cutting Edge Research to Help Turn Back the Clock. And, and I think from the perspective of a lot of the books that I've read on aging, uh, obviously yours being the most recent, uh, there's a lot of good science coming out lately and you chronicle a lot of it and you go way back. I mean, so we're not just talking about, we've started talking about these things. Now, uh, you take the research back and you say, what did we know 50 years ago? And how does that reflect what we're doing today? In some cases there's gaps. We, we, we learned a little something like the blood flow between a young rat and, and a healthy, you know, an older rat. Uh, and then people just stopped and now they're kind of saying, well, wait a minute, wasn't there sort of something there that maybe we want to dig a little bit further? And I think the way you said it is some people are not going the, uh, the Dracula vampire route. They're, they're going more the, okay, let's figure out why this is happening. So maybe we can do something about it. That's cool. And there's a lot of that in the book, but I also like the fact that you took the time to give us some practical things that those of us in our 40s, 50s, and 60s can start doing today to reverse our bio age. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think it's critical to not just talk about all the exciting science that really, even though some of it might have been started a century ago or even more, is actually because of where technology is today, we're actually able to understand what is driving this and how to how to actually implement it but to give people actual practical things they can do in their everyday life rather than just waiting for new breakthroughs and discoveries because I know even personally I don't want to sit around and just hope that something comes out in the next 10 or 20 years I want to know what I can do today and actually most of um, our control that we have over our aging process are just behavioral things that we can actually do, and we don't have to wait for science to catch up there. Right. And that, and that's the good thing, because if you have a base, that's a little lower, when that stuff does come out more than likely, you're going to see better benefits from it in the long run. Anyway, uh, no one wants to get to 80 and frail and then say, Oh yeah, now I'm going to reduce five years off of my lifespan. Whereas if they felt like they were in their sixties, going back to 55 would feel pretty cool. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's probably easier to prevent than reverse, would, would be my guess. I, I completely agree. And as a personal trainer, I don't think you'd expect anything different from me. Yep. Now, one concept you got into the book, and, and I agree with you at some front that, you know, we, say, we talk about aging as a disease. And, and I agree, if we want to get researchers and people looking at it, then it, it's really good to get it classified as a disease, because then there's, there's a backing to it. Okay. Well, we can solve the problem. Then there's some money and there's, okay, now there's medical, um, you know, people are not just going to treat something because that's what you want. Um, I'd love to have a third arm, but you know, I'm not going to find a doctor that's willing to do the research to figure out how to make that happen. But I also think of aging as sort of a, if you will, just it's something that's, that's natural and happens to everybody. So for me to think of aging as a disease, I'd have to think, well, is puberty a disease? And, and, and no. Can you talk a little bit about why aging can be considered a disease and, and what we want to take away from that? 
So technically, um, there are a lot of people in the field who want to classify aging as a disease. I'm actually not one of them. Um, as you kind of mentioned, there are benefits for doing this because the FDA, if they're going to approve anything to go after aging, they need some kind of primary outcome, they'd call it. So people want to say, oh, aging is a disease because then they can say, oh, we can treat and tackle it. Um, but I actually agree with you that aging in and of itself is not a disease because usually when we define a disease, it's a state. So a transition to some state. We know diseases are on some are part of a continuous process, but we usually have to have some criteria for where we say this is a disease state versus a non-disease state. And like you said, there is no clear way to do that with aging. You can't just say 65 is when you've entered some disease state, or you know, you can't pick a number and classify that as disease. And if you want to treat it, what does it mean? to treat aging. So how much do you have to reverse it or you know, prevent it to say you've, you've actually treated or prevented some disease? Um, and, and very much like you said, aging doesn't start later in life. It starts, some people believe, before we're even born. So are we already transitioning this disease state? So I, I like to think of aging not as a disease, but as the kind of basis for most of the diseases that people suffer from today. Yeah. And I think this is where we can come up to this, this general split in thought. Okay. We all have a, a birthday. Um, we all know our birthday. Uh, we tend to celebrate it a lot when we're really, really young. We tend to want to skip some of them once we hit, uh, what is it for women age 29 or sometimes it's 39, but there's a, there's a full gap stop there. And then they want to reverse it and say, well, maybe I'm going to be 38 next year. Um, but that's our chronological age. Now, there's a concept called biological age that I think we all know that we went to high school with all of our friends, um, you know, like some of my friends posted on Facebook, we're about to start planning our 40 year class reunion. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And everybody, all, all everybody's posting like, oh, my God, don't tell me it's 40. I, 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 now I now I feel old, but we've watched classmates pass. You know, we're in our mid 50s at this point. We've watched mm -hmm. classmates pass. Uh, we see some of our classmates that look just like they did in high school, practically. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so there's this huge divide over how old we maybe really are inside. And there's a, yeah. there's an emotional component to it of, you know, if you act young, you, you feel young and maybe you look young, uh, but there's something else going on there. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So, so as you brought up, like people, once you reach a certain age, your birthday is not something that people tend to celebrate. I mean, you still go through the motions, but you're not necessarily excited about kind of advancing that kind of year. And the reason for that is because aging, so your, your increase in age is actually accompanied by biological changes, most of which you can't see, but eventually they manifest and you know, you see them in terms of wrinkles or loss of mobility or um, loss of stamina or even these diseases of aging that we were talking about. Um, but it's not the chronological time itself that's the problem. It's this kind of biological change of the whole organ system that ends up being the problem. And the interesting thing that, that you brought up that scientists have been studying is that the rate at which these changes occur or accumulate are not the same for everyone. So even though people might have been alive for let's say 50 years chronologically, some people will have gone through more of these changes and others less. And so that's kind of how um, my lab and others have, have actually tried to quantify biological aging. So do you have kind of the degree of change that's representative of someone who is the same chronological age as you are, or hopefully someone who's younger than you rather than older than you. Yeah. I think, I think we've all seen those pictures of, you know, the 85 year old woman sitting in the, in the wheelchair, you know, just stuck, probably unable to even stand on her own. And then you see the 85 year old bodybuilder or, you know, the hundred yard dash winner um, who's breaking world records, um, you know, at that age. And it's, it's drastic. I mean, it's, it's mm -hmm. really, really drastic. And so what you guys are trying to do with your studies and trying to come up with a biological age, a true age is okay. How old is your, 
your essence, your body, how old are you really? And what are you capable of doing? Now, you talked in the book about kind of three models. I call them three models. I have to put things in my head a certain way. There's a lot of information. And you had a quiz, which is kind of that low laying, easy one, just sit down, do the quiz. And that's going to give you some baseline data, uh, at least an idea. And you can look at what those questions were and ask yourself, okay, why, why is my, why am I answering a one or a half or three quarters on this one? Mm-hmm. The score I get, uh, you also have a, a kind of a blood measures test, a phenotypic age that you can measure. And then you go in the book really deep into DNA methylation, which is really kind of how all this happens. Can you talk about each one of those, I guess I'm going to call it testing methodology, if you will, just to, to simplify it, but you could go a little deeper into what these are and what they're telling us. Yeah. So there's probably, I mean, even besides the ones I cover in the book, there are tons of ways in which scientists are trying to quantify this kind of biological aging process. And the idea is that the changes are starting at kind of what we would call the lowest level of biological organization. So this molecular level. So um, we and others have developed ones that capture those changes. So this is kind of the DNA methylation or epigenetic measures uh, that you've that you mentioned. And basically what that is, is we can look across your genome. Usually we do this from cells in your blood or saliva. And we look at hundreds of thousands to millions of sites and just say, what are the proportion of cells that have this chemical tag there, which is DNA methylation. And just based on the pattern of those chemical tags, we can approximate something like a biological age using kind of AI and machine learning. Um, So it basically just says your cells have this pattern of change that's representative of someone of a given age. And the reason epigenetics is so exciting is it doesn't change your DNA sequence. So like the A, C, G, and T. Um, But I like to think of it as like the operating system of the cell. It gives your cells their state. So it differentiates different cell types that all have the exact same DNA, but what makes a neuron different from a skin cell is the epigenome, but it also differentiates eight old cells from young cells. So this is kind of how we can do it. Um, So once kind of the the molecular changes reach a certain point, you can start seeing this at a higher level. So in terms of changes in your physiology. Um, So that's where you get this phenotypic age measure, um, which you can basically calculate from a standard panel you would get at your annual physical. So uh, CBC, so um, blood cell counts and also kind of a metabolic panel that looks at kidney, liver, all these different organ system functioning. Um, But then, you know, the most basic one, once kind of your aging has reached almost like the highest level is you see this functionally. So how, this is what we, perceive as aging, both in ourselves and in others. You can see it physically, you can feel it in your body. Um, So there are other ways, just very simple, almost doing a self-assessment to kind of say, has my level of aging reached this point um, given kind of this quiz? And then you kind of look across the whole quiz where you kind of stand. Yeah. And I think the advantage of all this, you know, I've always said to my clients, uh, you know, yes, you can go get a blood panel and talk to your doctor Uh, yeah, you can do, and now you've made it easier that we can do a saliva test or a blood test if you want to go that far and find out, okay, how's your methylation going as far as really getting down to the detail where we're talking about maybe down to a 10th of a year kind of concept versus this quiz is saying, yeah, you're a little younger than you you are um, chronologically. Uh, The quiz will give you some basics to get started in the book, which I like. So if you just answer a few of those questions, you've got some some low hanging fruit, if you will, to get started. And these actions, though, I think what's really important is um, many people look for something to, to say, well, is what I'm doing working? And I know in your field, science, uh, that's everything. Measurement is everything. Mm Now, a lot of us love to do the easy measurements. So there's some easy ones, some really easy, and a quiz is one, you know, so you can get the Cosmo magazine and, and answer a quiz and it'll tell you what kind of whatever you are. They're on Facebook too. So it's, yeah, the quizzes are fun. Quizzes will tell you a lot. Um, but um, if you get a little deep, more detailed with the, the way that you're doing this, then you're going to have better data and make better decisions. Now, one of the 
data points that a lot of people love to use uh, for measuring their health is weight. Mm-hmm. And in a minute, we're going to get into talking about nutrition and exercise. And a lot of people, the only reason they think about nutrition and exercise is because of what the scale says. But now you're telling them there's this, this more, much more important scale <laughs> that you have in, potentially easily in front of you that is a better measure of health. Why, why, I mean, yeah. weight is important. I'm not going to poo poo it at all. It's, it is important. There's, there's some risk factors associated with, it. but why, why is this type of measurement something that someone should consider over just saying, I'm going to step on the scale every day? Yeah. And I, I'd also talk about this a little bit in my book, actually our, um, when we measure our weight or calculate our BMI, which is based on kind of a weight height ratio, this is actually not a great predictor of health. Yes, we know obesity tends to be associated with increased risk of disease, um, but BMI itself can, can be due to a number of different things. Muscle mass is also heavy. So people can have the same BMI and have very different body composition. Um, and actually in older ages, we find that a higher BMI is slightly protective than a lower BMI. So it's a very complicated relationship. Um, but the whole point is that the reason we usually associate higher weight with risk of disease is because it, it tends to uh, basically drive a lot of these changes that are actually age-related changes. So it accelerates them. So rather than just assuming, oh, my, my BMI is probably too high, it's probably driving these, it's better to actually just try to directly measure the consequences of this, which is on the pathway to disease versus just inferring something about your weight. And I also think this will get people less kind of weight obsessed because you see heavier people are actually quite healthy um, and, and thinner people who are actually unhealthy. So it's better just to get a direct measure of what's going on as much as you can approximate it. Yeah. One of the metaphors you had in the book, which I, I really enjoyed was you talked about the hill. And so as we're younger, you know, we, we have this, um, for lack of a better word, inertia, inertia, keeping us younger, you know, as we go up the hill, there's this inertia that keeps us, you know, in a, in a condition. So we're, we're more resilient, we're stronger, we're faster, we're, we're prettier, we're, we're everything, you know, uh, <laughs> and the older we get, the more we were, uh, but then we top that hill at some point, uh, we can call it midlife, or we can call it 35 when sarcopenia and osteopenia start to become a thing. Uh, and then we're going down a hill. And now that inertia is not helping us. In fact, it's, it's pushing us. Um, and, you know, particularly if we're over 40 or over 50, we're going down that hill pretty quick, unless we do a few things to stop it, or at least slow it down. And maybe we can't stop it. We'd love to stop it for at least a little while. Enjoy this year more. Uh, but, <laughs> and one of the key ones, and, and I don't think you could have this conversation without it is to talking about nutrition. What we eat has a profound effect on our health um, and the scale in many cases. So if we're looking at measuring this from either a health perspective or a weight perspective, we have to talk about nutrition. And you went very deep in the book in talking about some of the nutritional strategies that we can have to have the best bio age possible. Can you talk about a few of those? Yeah, so, so nutrition's actually been studied quite a bit in the aging field. Um, most of the original work was just looking at kind of calories, so m- amount of eating that, uh, or amount of uh, consumption. So dating back, actually, I think it's more than a century now, scientists discovered that actually what we call calorie restriction or dietary restriction can extend the lifespan of, in this case, it was a rat. Um, And actually since then, there's been calorie restriction studies in a number of different species, mostly showing the same thing, that it seems to be associated with improvements in kind of disease prevention. So um, elongation of what we call health span. So longer time disease-free, as well as possibly uh, longer lifespan as well. And this isn't, um, calorie restriction isn't a severe malnutrition. So it's basically reduced calories without malnutrition. So 
in some of the human trials that are going on, it's about a 12% reduction in total calories. Um, since then, I, people have actually become more interested in uh, basically fasting because the idea that someone's going to maintain a caloric restriction diet for their entire lifespan is probably unlikely. Um, and so are there ways that are actually easier that we can do easier that mimic the same benefits? So people have been really interested in different types of fasting, like time-restricted eating, where you try and compress the number of hours each day that you're eating. So maybe you only eat between an eight or six hour window. Um, there's also uh, times where you can kind of, some people skip a, a whole day of eating, but then eat fairly normally the rest of the time. Um, or you can do these kind of short bursts of five day, they're not full fast, but very low calorie fast and do them maybe a few times a year. And we don't have what I would say definitive proof that this is slowing aging, but at least in looking at some of these biological age measures that you mentioned, there seems to be some indication that they might be. Um, and then of course, it's not just how much you eat, but what you eat as well. Um, so a lot of research going into kind of plant-based diet and whether plant-based and or things like Mediterranean diet are actually beneficial. And this seems to be supported looking at um, individuals who live in these very, um, what are called blue zones. So where you have very long lived individuals, but also looking at observational data of just people in, for, for instance, the US population. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, it, it should go without saying that we know, because we, we, we see it in practice, the person that looks and feels younger at 65, they don't eat a lot of crap. <laughs> Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. you know, so they're, you know, and they're not overeating, you know, that's the other side mm -hmm. of it. And so some, some calorie restriction. And as you said, uh, to kind of put that in context, if, if you're eating a 2000 calorie diet, uh, you know, that, that 12 and a half percent, we're talking about 25, wait, 50 calories. We're, we're, we're not talking about, you know, really, really starving yourself. Now you may feel a little hungrier uh, and guess what? Hunger doesn't kill you. Uh, it might actually keep you alive longer and, and healthier, uh, you know, cause we did talk about, we are talking about health span, which I think is another aspect I didn't get into a lot, but we could all live long and not be healthy or we can live short and pop, you know, just be done. Uh, all those are a part of our health span and how that aligns with what we're doing. And so, you know, I think we all know this, if we're eating good whole foods, because I don't think they had a reason to study this a hundred years ago because corn pops and Twinkies and Ho-Hos and haagen didn't exist back then. Uh, and now, the, you know, 95% of our grocery store is that stuff. Um, and so I think most people will know if they're eating a whole food diet, they're eating a predominantly plant-based diet, Mediterranean style diet, you almost naturally eat less. It, it, Mm -hmm. really hard to overeat spinach and quinoa and uh, those types of things. It just, just is um, really hard to overeat yeah. those yeah. things. So you end up then losing some weight. Maybe your calories are a little lower because again, you're not taking in some calorie dense foods um, that you would otherwise. Now you got into just a little bit, you talked a little bit about ketosis and the ketosis that you're talking about really comes about from the, these, these fasting protocols. So whether you're going to do true calorie restriction, uh, you're going to do your five, two fast, you're going to do some time restricted eating, or you're going to go into a, a fast, uh, full fast mimicking type diet, like the prolon diet mm -hmm. with Dr. Vanga. Um, in a lot of cases, folks are at least for parts of time, getting into ketosis and producing ketones. Can you talk a little bit about why ketones would be beneficial for us? Sorry, my throat. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think here, I'll, I'll do the pause. Because... Hmm. Okay. So I think we, I don't think we actually know specifically why we think ketosis might be beneficial. For us. And this is actually not something I study, but there are definitely colleagues um, at Yale who study ketosis. Um, but we're, we're actually starting to have kind of some clinical trials in, in humans potentially looking at ketosis. Um, 
And there's some indication that this is why fasting might be beneficial, because as you mentioned, it puts your body in these kind of short uh, cycles of ketosis. Um, and there is some evidence that, that actually you don't want long-term ketosis. Um, and actually it is a cyclical kind of going in and out of it because your body actually can adjust and overcompensate in the other way. Um, and, and again, this is all very preliminary. I, we don't know specifically. Um, what I would say too, is it's going to probably to some degree depend on what you're eating. Um, if you're on a ketogenic diet, because you can actually have a fairly unhealthy ketogenic diet as well, even though you're not getting a ton of carbohydrates and sugar. Um, if you're eating a lot of very kind of animal heavy um, food sources, um, very high in certain types of fat, um, this also might not be beneficial. And, and I think it's probably pretty hard for people to stay on a plant-based uh, ketogenic diet. So um, we'll see, I guess, as the science kind of progresses. Yeah. I, I've talked to people all the way up, you know, from carnivore all the way down to, to vegan keto. Um, it's, mm -hmm. it's doable, but like most things, uh, the more strict and stringent something is like calorie restriction at 25% or, you mm -hmm. know, saying, okay, I'm not going to eat a certain food group for a long, long period of time. The more restrictions you put, uh, typically the harder it is because those things are just there. It's like, you're, you're not going to walk around and not have food like our ancestors, um, you, you know, where you got to go hunt and find it or dig it up or climb up a tree or whatever you got to do to do. Uh, we don't have to do that now. My refrigerator, quite frankly, is like maybe 10 feet away from me right now. Uh -huh. uh, so if I wanted something to eat uh, within a minute, that that things open and I'm eating it. Uh, so yes, these things can be very difficult to maintain. So finding the right way. And again, that comes from measurement. So if you've measured and you have a baseline and then you do a protocol and then after appropriate period of time, you test again, that's going to give you some of that personalized evidence, some of that information that you could use then to know if a protocol is right for you or not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it, again, it, it comes back to what you're actually going to be able to implement in your life and what you think is worth implementing. There are definitely people who can be on very health, what seems like a very healthy, but very restrictive diet, but that's not going to work probably for 95% of the population. They just won't be able to maintain it. So I think the important thing is to do what you can, but, you know, acknowledge to have kind of the accountability for what you're doing and if you know, you can't go maybe and keep the most ideal diet, but you can do it 90% of the time, or you can work in some of these other things, I think, uh, and take these small steps. I think that's how people are going to get the most benefit. Yeah. I think the cyclical approach is a very sound way to try something for a while, get some data. And then, you know, if, if it's working, like you mentioned, just even with some of the, uh, well, with the fasting is doing the fast, like, you know, three times a year or five times a year or every other month or something like that, where you have a protocol and say, okay, I'm on a five day fast. I'm still going to have some nutrition that my body needs, uh, but I'm going to do it in a very controlled way. So I know that I'm getting the nutrition my body needs. And then after I come off my fast, I finish that protocol. I can remeasure if I want, or I can continue this. And then I now have some data that says, okay, yeah, this way of eating works. One, it's either, it has to be sustainable. Uh, but then beyond that, yes, I'm actually seeing measurable results in my bio age. Um, and then the other side, you, you, you know, go back to the quiz, look in the mirror, you know, when you wake up in the morning, how do you feel? Are you, are you stiff? Are you hurting? Are you aching? Do you have, you know, is your arthritis acting up? And what are the things going on mm -hmm. that your body's telling you, Hey, we're not, we're not 100% here. Uh, you know, then you, you know that what you're doing is either working or not. Yeah. And, and the import, other important thing that I don't think I touched on is that different things are going to work to different degrees for each of us. So there isn't one optimal diet that's going to be optimal for everyone, um, even in terms of the health benefits. So not, not just in terms of what we can each uh, kind of maintain. And it's, it's really hard to know what 
that diet is. So some people probably will do a little bit better on purely plant-based where some people might need some kind of um, animal protein in their diet. And I think, yeah, the, it's hard to use kind of genetics to predict what the optimal diet is for a person. And, you know, there are companies and scientists trying to do that, but it is just easier if we can actually have valid and reliable measures that give us feedback on how the things we do in our everyday life are affecting us. Yeah. That uh, N equals one experiment where you're, you're the single subject. And I can tell you if you're doing an N equals one uh, experiment, that's a very important sample size to have (laughs) because you are getting real information of what's working for you at that point in time. Now there's another area that's really important for aging and you go into a few, uh, several in the book and yes, we can, we can wait for uh, science to do a few things. That's going to probably help us in the long run. They'll they'll come up with some pill or shot or something that's going to, you know, be better for us and, and help us in our health, but it's exercise. And it's, it's interesting to me. I've always said to people, it's like, if you can take one more breath, you can do something to improve your health and fitness. But the way you said it in the book, I really enjoyed here is this is no matter your age, disease status, or athletic proclivity, nearly everyone can benefit from staying active. And I appreciate you saying that. I I really do. Why, why is exercise so beneficial for us in, in actually slowing down or improving our true age? Yeah. So I think we don't truly know on a mechanistic level what exercise, how exercise is improving health, but from decades and decades of research into exercise, we know that it is. And it seems to be not conditional on who you are, as you mentioned, Um, even when they do these kind of interventions in very frail um, individuals who are kind of in nursing homes, physical activity seems to have a benefit for them. Of course, there's going to be a limit, right? You have to do it within, you know, a safe environment and not push past your um, abilities, but all of us benefit from exercise. And it's probably because, so our, our bodies are these complex dynamic systems. So something that's going to kind of prime that and, you know, make it more resilient is something that's going to be dynamic and it doesn't necessarily act through one pathway or one kind of mechanism. It's probably kind of honing in, you know, on our entire system and really kind of improving our resilience and robustness and our system's ability to function because it's needing to be adaptive to this very mild stressor, which in the long run will actually make it stronger. Yeah, I, I just imagine our, our ancestors uh, running sprints and doing push-ups just for the sake of doing them. Uh, and they weren't, yeah. they? <laughs> you know, they were climbing because they needed to get to the top of that tree, either to get away from something or to get to something. Uh, they were walking or running long distances because that's how they could herd and catch the animals that could run out faster than them, but eventually would run out of the aerobic capacity and we would catch up to them and then we would eat meat that night. Um, Mm -hmm. and then again, digging, uh, for roots when you don't have a backhoe, um, (laughs) it takes some work. Uh, so work, work and exercise were a big part of, of our upbringing. Now, one of the things you said in the book, uh, and I, I think this is, uh, this is where a lot of people can kind of put this together is, exercise is a stress on the body and, and we're, we're kind of led to believe a stress is a bad thing, but there's good stresses and there's bad stresses. And even some of the foods we eat are hormetic in effect, the meaning they stress our body, but we produce mm-hmm. good things as a result. Um, but this, this, the States that you went through was the homostasis, which our bodies love balance. So stay balanced. And then we put a stressor in front of it. Mm-hmm. And then we have allostasis, mm-hmm. which is the improvement. And then we have a return to homostasis. Can you talk about that process? So if I decide, yes, I'm going to start running, uh, I'm going to put some stress on my body that it, it won't necessarily like me for doing initially, but it's the right thing to do. Can you talk about that process that way, how that's working? Yeah. So exercise, as you pointed out, is a perfect example of this 
concept of hormesis. So this very mild stressor, which is actually going to kind of prime your system and actually make it more robust in the end. And it kind of, you know, when we're in a steady state, our bodies are trying to maintain homeostasis, which is, you know, a, a given temperature and, you know, all these kind of biochemical um, ranges that your body tries to maintain. Um, as we encounter stressors in our life, uh, we have, we go through allostasis, which is kind of your body's response to that stressor. So it needs to move out of homeostasis to respond to the stressor. And then the idea is that it should move back. And actually, as you, if you do this, you kind of dynamically are, can have these mild stressors and then you move back to homeostasis. Our bodies get better at doing that and better at adapting to stressors that might come up in our lives. Um, you can imagine though, if you have a huge stressor, your body might not actually be able to move back very well, or you might end up in a slightly different um, kind of state. So the idea is to have these mild ones that our body can um, adapt to. And then uh, there's potential that actually they can get a little more stressful over time, but you're better at adapting to them. Um, the important thing, and as this is something we see in exercise too, is also this recovery. So you have enough time for your body to move back to this homeostatic kind of steady state space. Um, and this is where we see things like chronic stress being a problem because your body never has time to move back to this adaptive state. So we know there's a lot of chronic stress in terms of psychosocial stress that people undergo that just never lets up. And I think this, this is kind of maladaptive stress, but actually these acute small stressors can actually be very beneficial to our overall functioning. Yeah. And, and the way, the way I like to look at it is, is one is these are the gentle nudges. So you're doing a little bit more work mm -hmm. than you did before, uh, because you can't, you know, you can't compress 30 years of not working out into uh, a few workouts. Uh, trust yeah. me, that won't work. Uh, but then, yeah, your body adapts, it gets stronger. And the fact it can keep getting stronger. I think, uh, one of the data points you had in there was that they were taking what we basically call frail older people and putting them through a resistance training program. They increased their strength by over a hundred, I think it was 112%. Uh, that's yeah, phenomenal. That right. Yeah. That's phenomenal. Yeah. You know, when you start thinking of doubling and, and, probably it was a matter of five, six, eight weeks. Most of these programs don't go more than 12 just for a cost perspective that they were able to double their strength in that little amount of time doing it in a safe environment. We're not putting them in the gym and saying, okay, we want you doing Olympic, Olympic lifts here. They put them in a safe environment. Uh, they train them and being trained, they, they become effectively better people, better athletes and, probably had you measured their bio age, which you weren't part of that experiment, but they probably would have come back a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, for a lot of these conditions that we see that arise with aging. So I think you mentioned before sarcopenia, which is this muscle wasting, and it's also accompanied by loss of strength. Um, also things like osteoporosis. Some of the best interventions we have are exercise. And I know, you know, people who are developing these might feel, well, I'm, I'm getting too weak to undergo, you know, a stressor like exercise, but actually that's what their body needs to kind of push it back into a stronger state. It needs that kind of, you want like the push to come both ways, right? If, if nothing's kind of pushing back on it, it'll just continue to deteriorate. Yeah. But I like to think of nutrition, exercise, sleep, stress, all of those are information. So our, our body, as you will, is it's, it's literally just a computer, if you will. And it's collecting information about your environment. And if you're able to just sit on your butt every day and do nothing in its mind, you're doing nothing, but using your brain, mm -hmm. uh, you're not moving, uh, you're eating foods that are not beneficial. You're giving your body information that, okay, it's, it's, it's time to shut down. It's, it's time to just sort of just collect some fat. That's great. And then we're just, we're shutting down versus the opposite. When you start giving it the information that, Hey, I'm going to need you to start actually lifting a little bit more weight. I'm going to need you to be able to travel a little bit further on your feet um, you, or in a wheelchair even, but you're moving more. Mm -hmm. uh, you communicate to your body that it needs to be better and it reacts appropriately. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, our bodies are amazing, amazing dynamical systems that will react to our environment and behaviors and all these inputs that we have the ability to kind of use to, to kind of hone in on a better kind of overall system. And so the, the good news of your book, True Age, is that this is not something we have to wait for somebody else to solve for us. This is not, even though we can say, or they want to classify aging as a disease, it's not a disease that we can't reverse or at least control. It's, it's, it's something that's in our control and our lifestyle choices are a big part of how we age. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I say this in the book, if someone had a pill that had the same benefits that we would, that we get with exercise, this would be one of the biggest breakthroughs, I think, in modern medicine. And the, the thing is that it already exists. We just have to kind of take the time out and actually um, do this. And, you know, yes, there might be really exciting discoveries down the road. Some we're working on in colleagues and we're very excited about those, but in the meantime, people don't have to sit around and wait for them. There's very impactful things that they can do right now. Yeah. And, and as you said in the book, there's a, there's a Goldilocks zone of this exercise. So we're not saying you need to be able to do a, a ultra marathon uh, to consider yourself, you know, doing exercise. It's, it's, it's starting where you are doing a little bit more and then just finding that spot where you're, you're optimizing how you feel and how you potentially how you look, uh, and Mm -hmm. how your body actually is responding to that stress. And now, uh, potentially getting stronger and younger and, and, and all of that. Yeah. This comes back to this kind of acute stress versus chronic stress. You don't want to go out and just do so much. And then your body can't even really kind of recalibrate from that, but yeah, you do these little acute stressors and enough to, you know, feel it like it shouldn't be easy per se, but enough to kind of break a sweat, get your heart rate up to a, a decent high level for a short amount of time. And then you can slowly build from there, but yeah, you don't need to be able to run a marathon. You can go for a 30 minute walk or whatever, whatever kind of works for your lifestyle. Dr. Levine, I define wellness as being the healthiest, fittest and happiest you can be. What are three strategies or tactics to get and stay well? For me, I would have to say one is figure out what works for you. So, you know, if you can't stick to a diet, then that diet's not going to help you. You know, we all kind of overestimate, I think, what we will stick to in the future. Um, so, so I would say find something that actually works for your lifestyle where everyone's busy, um, but just make sure you're trying to get that little bit of exercise or eat plant-based or whole foods most of the time. I'm not saying you can't have cake on your birthday, but you know, figure out what you can actually manage in your life. Um, the other thing I think related to that is just to, to know your numbers, to actually have some information about how, how you're doing so that you can make those choices on whether something is worthwhile implementing in your life um, versus not. Um, and, you know, if that this, make, this makes you accountable for your, for your decisions you make, but also I think can give positive feedback that what you're doing is actually benefiting you. And then probably the last step, and I guess this maybe relates a little bit to number one is this isn't, you don't have to go from zero to 100. You can take small steps and then get there. It's not, you don't need the perfect diet on January 1st, but you can start by implementing one thing at a time and over time um, kind of get to a healthier lifestyle. And, and in doing that, cut yourself a little bit of slack, right? You need to be accountable and not cut yourself too much slack, but you know, everyone messes up. I eat unhealthily, you know, occasionally, and we have, don't be so critical and, and set on being perfect and let that kind of ruin your progress overall. Great. Dr. Levine, if someone wanted to learn more about you or more about your book, True Age, where would you like for me to send them? Uh, yeah. So my, my book is coming out, I think what today, <laughs> May 3rd. Um, so you can buy it on Amazon or other, um, outlets. 
Uh, to learn more about me, uh, my lab has a website. I think it's morganlevinelab.com. Um, I also, people feel free to follow me on Twitter or Instagram. Um, I like to post a lot about aging research, where we are, the new science coming out, um, and also talk a little bit about what I do in my everyday life. Um, so those are probably the main outlets for Great. people who want to learn more. You can go to 40plusfitnesspodcast.com forward slash 536, and I'll be sure to have links there. Dr. Levine, thank you so much for being a part of 40 Plus Fitness. Thank you so much for having me. Welcome back, Raz. Hey, Ellen. What an interesting interview about aging. There's a lot to talk about here. Yeah. You know, I've had, I think in no less than three or four months, we've had three different guests now talking about aging. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, from different perspectives, one guy's in, in the technology aspect of it as, as kind of, um, we were this time, uh, you know, the companies providing services, like how do you get your true age and, you know, what are mm -hmm. the things we can do to, to deal with it? Um, but the, the reality of it is we're not learning anything new, <laughs> you know, and I, and I hate to say it that way, but you, you probably have heard common themes, but what do I have to do for weight loss? And it's like, manage your nutrition, manage your movement, manage your sleep, manage your stress. Mm -hmm. you know, what do I do? So if I want to age slower, mm -hmm. same four things, True. <laughs> you know, so these foundations of health that we go over week in and week out, uh, there's a right way for you. There's a right size for you. And mm -hmm. the sooner you get on it, the better, because we talked about that hill and how, you know, the inertia or the momentum of aging kind of works in your favor for the first half of that hill where the ball's trying to roll back against you. And, you know, you've got much more resilience and much more strength and much more mm -hmm. everything. Um, <laughs> and then you hit a point, a tipping point, and then now aging is running away from you. And if you're not doing the right things, it, it could end really badly and right. out of your control. Uh, loss of independence, loss of health, loss of fitness. Um, and it, so it can, it can go bad fast. And for some people, you know, we're in our forties and fifties, I don't know about you, but you get on Facebook and every other day there's this diagnosis, that diagnosis, and you're like, okay, you know, you know sometimes that's just enough to get them to start fighting that, that inertia, that aging inertia. Uh, mm -hmm. But sometimes they're already past the top and now it's just uh, okay uh, this is where i'm going and so you know we yeah. have a lot we have a lot that we can do in four fundamental areas uh, mm -hmm. to manage our health and wellness and it just it it plays out over and over in all the different themes about how to mm -hmm. how to have better strength how to have better bone bone mass how to you know feel better how to have more energy how to everything they're all everything. four four basic pillars that if we're working on those on a consistent basis, we're improving our health, we're improving our existence. And as a result, our true age is younger than potentially our chronological age. Mm -hmm. well, that's an interesting concept right there to think that if you could manage your health in such a way that you might feel younger than other people at your age, you know, we have an interesting, um, I don't know, concept of, of what aging feels like, you know, when I was a kid, I thought 50 would be crazy old and I'd be slowing down and not doing the things that I'm doing right now. And here at 50, you know, I'm still running marathons and, and doing some fun stuff and I have no intention of stopping. This is how I like to spend my time. And it's giving me a higher, higher quality of life. I mean, it's social, it's entertaining, and I'm doing what I can to maintain my age. And I just really wish people would also find something that they love to do at this age to keep them active. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be running. It doesn't have no. to be weightlifting. It doesn't have right. to be super, super strenuous. I mean, mm -hmm. it can be something as simple as, as pickleball, you yeah. know, or, you know, just something that's slightly active, um, you mm -hmm. know, get out in a state park and, and go for a hike, you know, find mm -hmm. a, find a group that's doing something, uh, that's some movement involved and, and make it, make it a thing. Um, yeah. you know, 
it, they're out there. And I think that's the it point is, is it, you know, there's, there's running clubs, there's hiking clubs, there's pickleball, there's all this yeah. different stuff that's out there. Um, and, it, or it might be just something as simple as, as a Zumba class at your community, yeah. center, you know, um, mm-hmm. and you don't have to be able to dance, just go out there and have some fun, you know, and, uh, move mm-hmm. at your pace at your thing. And, you know, just enjoy yourself because you only get one shot. Right. I just think that's the best part though. Like Zumba class would be just a hoot. And I've got an aunt and uncle, they do Tai Chi, a beautiful, graceful movement for them and they enjoy it. They have friends at the gym and it's just such a fun social atmosphere for them. And they're, and they're having a high quality of life. You know, they get out of the house, they do these fun things and they're healthier for it. So, I mean, you don't have to, um, let aging just happen. You know, you don't have to just get old and sit around and do nothing. How boring would that be? Well, we saw, we see it. I mean, that's kind of what's interesting is, as you were saying is like, okay, there was, there was the great grandma who, you know, was right at the end and, you know, forgetting things and always sitting in her rocker. And then Mm -hmm. there was the grandma and, you know, yeah, she'd cook a meal and then she'd sit down. Um, and then there was mom and and then there was us and we're running around like wild animals and everybody else is, is sitting yeah. and not, and they're not playing and they're not doing these things. It just, it wasn't, it wasn't done. It wasn't a regular mm-hmm. thing. In fact, you know, at one point women couldn't even run a marathon. They weren't allowed that is true. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that until is they true. did it, until they did it yeah. uh, like, well, okay. Uh, but you know, and that's probably why, you know, uh, again, if you're not going to let somebody do something, then they're going to want to do it that much more, but That's right. <laughs> so yeah, you can't, you can't do this exercise thing. Don't, don't listen to us. You can't. <laughs> yes. Oh, so but ridiculous. It, yeah. But it's, it's like you, you have the, it's not a button. It's not easy, but you mm-hmm. have tools. You have the capacity. Um, if you take a breath to do something and if we're just going to sit around and wait for them to come up with the easy pill, that, right. that one pill thing that you're going to take, that's going to be your exercise for you. Um, you're going to pass before that happens. Um, right. science is great, but it's, it's not going to be that great. In fact, what science is more likely to do is to keep you alive in a bad health state. So, you know, your health started declining in your fifties and you lived until your eighties. It was 30 years plus maybe of poor health that you had to endure Mm -hmm. and it's within your control to eat better, move better, sleep better and manage stress better. Um, Mm -hmm. Every little bit of that, that you're able to do is going to help improve your, your lifespan and your health span. And the quality, the quality of life. Yep. Yep. You don't have to take aging, sitting down, get up and get active, get out there. Yeah. Uh, And realize that you know, if you are on the other side of the hill, you can slow the descent. Mm-hmm. It's not this fixed aging curve where you have to live the way that you're, you know, that you saw your parents live or that you see older siblings or relatives live. You can slow that curve uh, with the right interventions, which are not medical, they're physical. They're, right. they're what you put in your mouth or what you put in your brain. They're what you physically move around and do. It's, it's all information. And if you're informing your body that you need to be active and, and manage an active lifestyle um, with good food and all that, um, your body responds because it's like, oh, well, we, we still have to do stuff versus mm-hmm. if you're just sitting around and you're not getting the exercise, uh, you're not eating well, uh, you're communicating to your body that it's okay for it to go ahead and start shutting down. And that's a bad message. That's a a bad bad message. message. Not very fun. Not fun at all. No. So again, you know, I'll, I'll probably, I'll still keep having uh, guests on and we'll keep talking about aging because it's an important topic. Um, Mm -hmm. But just recognize that all of my shows are the same show. Uh, (laughs) They are. We're talking about the same four things, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, and, but your four things are different than my four things. Um, And so you just have to find your four things and, you know, how you move, how you eat, how you sleep, how you manage stress and doing the best that you can with what you have, where you are. And, and, And if you're doing that, then you're aging at a slower pace than you would have otherwise. Mm-hmm. And you're going to have a longer, better life. Yep. That's perfect. 
All right. Well, Rich, we'll talk next week. Sounds great. Take care, Alan. You too. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Next time on the 40 Plus Fitness Podcast, we meet Clint Emerson and discuss his book, The Rugged Life, The Modern Guide to Self-Reliance. Until then, have a happy and healthy week.